part six of the Acts of the Saints. Now that we know we're supposed to be of the Melchizedekian order of priesthood and serving God and serving people to God. We assist people. We serve God and we serve who? I'm going to say it again. We serve God and we serve who? Sometimes we get confused. We got the we serve God part correct, and we think that that pretty much entails coming to church. But in case you ever get misconstrued about how serving God is more than you just trying to be obedient, he makes it very plain. We serve God and we serve. Oh, okay. That's the nature of a priest. They serve the Father, and they assist others with coming to the Father. And everything about their lives reflect. This is we're priests now. Everything about a priestly life reflects serving God and doing what? Serving people. This is the everything about a priest. I'm preaching better y'all acting. Because if I'm not mistaken, some of y'all in this house already started developing habits of how you needed quote unquote balance, which really was cold word for serving God, helping people, but also keeping myself in mind. Priests didn't get a territory. Come on, y'all don't want to play fair today. They didn't get a certain piece of land. Hello, somebody. What they got put them in the midst of other people that they might serve God and serve I'm already preaching, huh? But you start coming around this Atlanta spirit. Hello? You start coming around this, you know, we doing good out of slavery spirit. Hello, somebody. And you begin to forget that you were raised to serve. Since you done took off your shackles from slavery. Hello, somebody. You feel like now you no longer have to serve. See, the problem here is, no, you don't have to serve, but you should be serving. I'm not telling you life is not about serving. I'm saying you don't have to serve, but it should be serving. You don't went too far. You know, this New Testament, I ain't got to obey by them laws, but you should. The whole body of Christ in, in America is in a tizzy because prayerful dollar said that people shouldn't be tithing. Now, what I like is people's always calling me saying about this, this controversy. And they, everybody got an opinion. Ain't nobody asked me my opinion. They're like, but it's small churches like yours that get hit the most. I said, no, we don't. Not small churches like mine. My church member's been doing over 10% since this church was open. Hello, somebody. That 10% battle has never been something they ever dealt with. Hello, somebody. They come in off the streets and they be like, my friend said we shouldn't tithe. I said, okay, well, don't. Hello, somebody. Don't tithe. Do more than 10%. Do more to give it all to them. I mean, if you really want New Testament examples, sell everything you have and lay it at the apostles' feet. If you want a New Testament example. I don't see... Where, where your radicalness there? Could it be that your proclivity to fight against tithing is just a, a form of representation of your selfishness? Because the law is not made for the righteous. It's made for the unrighteous. But small churches like yours, they're they going to get hit because people listen to Creflo. First of all, I used to be a Creflo baby. And I ain't no more. For reasons. Hello, somebody. And my church ain't listening to him. I mean, they can try it out. You know how you do. You try on some new jeans and be like, these look cute. And then by the end of the day, oh, my stomach hurt. 
my back hurt. I can't wait to take these off. See, that don't fit you. This new theology you heard on a podcast, on a quick video, hello, somebody. Then you try to implement it in your life. Hello, I know how you do. You know, watch some preacher out here on, 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 the, on the internet. Hello, somebody. Then you say, this sound good. Then you try to implement that into your new life. Hello. And then when you try to implement it to yourself, hello, somebody. Then you got a shepherd that seems that they're pushing your life in a different direction that does not go with what you just heard on the internet. But rather than calling the internet pastor because you don't know their number, you got to call me and ask me, why does this feel different than what somebody else said? Common sense would tell you if you can't even call them, maybe that's not who you should be listening to and adjusting your life with. You got a customer satisfaction guarantee here. If you don't like the word, go return it back. Bring it back to the manufacturer. Well, you just what you said. Let's talk about what I said. You can't even get them on the phone. But you want to adjust your whole life based off of what somebody you can't even reach told you to do. I don't think they're your shepherd. I'm not telling you don't listen to nobody. I'm saying be very careful when you try to adjust your whole life based off and you can't even get your money back. Then you come to me, they took everything I had. I thought this is what God wanted me to do. Now bear in mind, I done preached 52 weeks out the year. But you got some profoundness outside of these walls. Hello? That good? You don't want to go toe for toe for profoundness. Hello? Because everything that glitter ain't. And y'all done picked up this little Atlanta spirit and you felt like it's your responsibility to serve God and serve yourself. It's my, you know, I, this is how you achieve balance. But the life of a priest is 100% serve God and serve Never yourself. Can you please check every example of priesthood and show and let and see how they were just served by God and provided by God, but they never had to serve themselves. This is the reality about being a priest under the order of Melchizedek that you don't want to really take on. Bit by bit, week by week, I challenge the way you've been living. This this poison you've been taking in. Hello, somebody. And you know it is because you come in here, you say, Pastor, you beat us every day. I don't beat you every day. You just so happen to have problems every week. Because I, I eat the same word I preach and I feel encouraged. I feel like I am affirmed in the direction I need to be going. I feel like I am making solid choices and doing great because the word, you feel beat down. It ain't me, baby. Every week you got something that need to be dealt with. Yeah, there you go, there you go. They, you ain't gonna die, and if you did, good. Good, it's good, it's good. <laughs> Don't all write me. <laughs> you have to serve God and serve people. Where you work and how you work ain't about your paycheck. It's about how God wants to use you to serve. Oh, I did. I went there. Try to reveal what aspects of your soul fit a particular job that you might have a good foundation of Christianity at that job place. 
Y'all don't want to play Saturday. Some places you don't need to work because when you start working there, your soul get cast down. You got a case of the mully grubs. Don't nobody want to be a believer following after behind you. Everything is demonic and everything is a warfare. You come in looking like it. Maybe this ain't the job for you. And until you can admit that, you stuck. Hello? Uh-huh. Job choices. How many people feel like job choices affect over 80% of your life? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Maybe your, maybe your under-shepherd has something to do with that. Maybe your under-shepherd got something to do with that. Maybe your under-shepherd that's been called to watch for your soul has an inclination about what fits your soul and what doesn't. But you so grown. Come on, somebody. You so mature. Hello, somebody. That you just tell me what I should pray. Yeah, you're guilty, Pastor. Can you pray that I? Pastor, can you pray that I? Pastor, can you pray that I could get this job? You ain't even asked me. The one that watches for your soul, that may have the inclination of God or the leading of the Spirit of God. I don't know if you, maybe, she, maybe you've seen signs, miracles, and wonders. Maybe. That might point you in the right direction for what God understands about your soul so that you might have an excellent testimony in your place of work because that is more important than your paycheck. Hello, somebody. Hello? First, I say run the numbers. First, we're going to run them numbers. Why? Because how much you make affects your soul, too. Some people can handle a pay decrease, and some people cannot. They be like, no, I'll make less for this, and then you be cast down every time I see you. I was like, I guess you can't. Hello, somebody. I know the Lord. No, I would do. I would. I would. I would. I would do with no money. Mm, he know you is a lie. Cause you complain and have a pity party. You gonna go back to smoking weed and doing drugs and having sex and my whole life is miserable all because you ain't got no money. I don't even. Oh, I'm over here. I got stuff to do. This is not even a part of the message for today. I got. I got stuff to do. the Lord just manifests miracles in my life so that y'all could be like you know what <laughs> the next day it was a for sale sign the next day <sighs> what maybe she do have a favor of the Lord on her life maybe she should guide me lead me maybe hello somebody I, I, you know maybe because y'all don't listen y'all don't listen and I'm tired of wasting years with you no, not like what I do is wasted. You are wasting years, and I have to be with you while you waste them. I'm tired of it. Some of y'all missing out on your young years because you're stupid. But you could have listened in the wisdom of somebody else and did, did far better in your young years. Hello? Mm, your stubbornness has cost you more than you could ever know. All right, let's move on. I don't even know why I'm over there. Everybody want to pray for a different job and a better situation, but they don't want to hear what the prophet has to say about your life. You want to flim flam the numbers and, and, and quickly throw it before me? You understand? Because you don't want a real conversation and be evaluating where your soul is. Oh, I know you're worse. Hello, somebody. 
And they'd be like, well, I thought this was the Lord. I see it all my life. I don't understand. All right. We're on part six of the, the Acts of the Saints. Woo. By the subtitle of this message, I will subtitle it Bitterness Binds You to Iniquity. <clears throat> Bitterness binds you to iniquity. Bitterness binds you to iniquity. Bitterness is tricky. Because bitterness does not have to come because someone offended you. Although it can. You can be bitter because someone did something wrong. But you can also be bitter because something didn't go right. Hello? And just off the top, I can give you the conclusion at the beginning. This bitterness, this sourness, hello? Chains you to feelings that produce sin. I just broke that down with less church words. Let me do it again. Bitterness or this sourness about someone that did you wrong or something that didn't, that went wrong, right? Chains you to feelings that produce sin. Iniquity isn't sin. Iniquity is the thought and action in the soul. And then sin is the physical manifestation of that thought and action. Do you understand? It's the internal mechanism that fuels the sin, right? We are born in sin and shaped in iniquity, right? For those of us that aren't here, remember we use sin is the speed limit and breaking the speed limit. Iniquity is driving at an unsafe speed, 110 miles per hour, 105 miles per hour. Even if you don't see a speed sign, that is unsafe, right? When I put the sign up, make it a law to drive past 55, and then you go over 55, that's a sin. Prior to the law being established, you driving 102 with a bomb strapped to your butt is probably unsafe. That's what it is. It's a combustible engine with fuel, fire, and electricity. You're trying to control a bomb while you go 102 miles per hour. Probably not safe. You might want to control a bomb a little lower speed. They're going to have the audacity to put the bomb on wheels. And then you want to pick up your cell phone while driving 100 miles per hour with a bomb strapped to your butt on wheels. With other people doing the same thing. Did I just convict you of speeding? See how it don't even make no sense? How you risk your life to shave off three minutes? Three minutes. In your mind, you can make up 15. You were in your mind lie. It's, it's three minutes. It's three minutes. You still gonna be late. It's three minutes. But you decide to risk everything for three minutes. 
Hello? And even if you were excellent at driving this bomb strapped to your butt on wheels, while you put your makeup on and check your cell phone, do you think somebody else is? And then you have the audacity to do this with hundreds of people doing the exact same thing. Hello? Mother Bell, how you feeling over there? Mm-hmm. Let's reduce these speeds. You never know why the Lord goes in the direction he's going. But I promise you, when y'all get in y'all cars today, somebody will be like, well, I, don't, I don't know what the Lord was doing, but I ain't going to be speeding today. I might forget next week, but that's for today. Hello? Bitterness binds us to iniquity. It chains us to thoughts and feelings that produce sin. Our key text in Acts chapter 8 comes from verse 23. Acts chapter 8, verse 23. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Let's get into it. So we just saw that Stephen, a deacon and an evangelist that rose to the occasion of monitoring the people of God, the good works that they did, and signs and miracles followed him as he preached the gospel and monitored and helped all the goodwill that was coming through the church. In doing so, he was met with adversity and persecution and ultimately was stoned and died. People that stoned him, that were the witnesses that lied against him, took off their garments, their jackets, and laid it at the feet of Saul. Saul was a Roman and an Israelite. His later, name, later his name becomes Paul, all right? Uh, the writer of Romans and books such like that, like Hebrews. So this, this idea that Saul then embarks upon a great persecution of the church, where they had great growth, 5,000, 4,000, over and over and over again with signs and miracles, and people were sowing money and selling everything, and it was just a powerful movement. And then the persecution started. And Stephen was the first martyr that we see past Christ that died. This incident sent shockwaves, and it opened up an opportunity for the Romans and the is Israel to persecute the church even further. When at first they said, we'll just let them alone, the thing ain't going to work. And then they realized it's still working. And sometimes when you're doing good and people try to ignore you, they can't. They wait for you to fail. But they, they can't wait that long. The impatience of, of waiting for you to fail starts to eat away at them. And they got to put their hand in it. Start saying things and plotting things. Hello, somebody. In hopes that they could expedite your failure. Now, this was the Israelites, the leading rulers of the day, using the laws of, of Rome, 
who are now governs them to do dirty work against the persecution of the Christian movement. So this persecution caused a lot of the believers to scatter. And I know what you're thinking. That means we're down bad? No. The scattering that happened allowed the gospel to go to places like Samaria, which was a necessity. Philip, one of the other deacons that was elected with Stephen, shows up in Acts chapter 8. This is not Philip the apostle, okay? This is Philip a deacon, all right, that was set over the widows when they had that altercation about the, um, the, the Hellenists, okay, from last week. So Philip begins to preach the gospel as he's running from the persecution in Jerusalem. Everybody runs about the apostles. The apostles stay in Jerusalem. Some people bury Stephen. Everybody else runs. And they run to places, and as they run, they preach the gospel. Why are you here? Because we're being persecuted. For what? Because we preach the testimony of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? So Philip does this in Samaria. Now bear in mind, Jesus has already been to Samaria. Right? The Samaritan woman by the well. Samaria has always been a, a peculiar place because the Israelites traditionally despised the Samaritans. Despised them because it seemed like they did whatever was convenient for them. They built a temple and a place that they shouldn't have built it and should have supported the temple being rebuilt in Jerusalem. This altercation continued to see that they were imperfect in their practices of their faith. Now, what I'd like to draw to your attention is the gospel itself. The gospel or the good news is not just the preaching of Jesus, but it's the preaching of Jesus that has permitted the kingdom of God to be established. That's different. The gospel isn't just saying Jesus died to forgive your sins. It also says that this death to forgive your sins gives you access to be a part of God's kingdom. When Christ shows up and says the kingdom of God is at hand, what he's saying is there is arising a new kingdom in the distance. And it is knocking at your door. Come on, somebody. A new kingdom is showing up. We're on our way. Hello, somebody. You could either join us or get trampled by us. But we are here. That was the kingdom message. Israel, historically, has had the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. All right? The Samaritans only held the Pentateuch. All right? The first, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The Samaritans didn't want nothing else to do with them extra books. whatever these five right traditionally that's all they study that's what they obeyed that's what they listened that's what they learned so when Philip goes to Samaria and begins to preach the gospel it's significant because he's preaching it to people that have not truly given in to the concept and the idea of Israel there's there's a, a delineation and conflict you don't like us and we don't like you when you, cut, when you have to travel through us, you got to cross the Red Sea first, go around us, don't even come over here. And Jews were like, we don't even mind. Israel was like, we don't even mind not coming over there. I mean, some rabbis got so strict that you can't even accept nothing from a Samaritan. 
it was huge altercations. So the Samaritans were looked down upon as not being religious enough or devout enough as, as a nation of Israel. Same God, they just real flim flam with theirs. That's how Israel looked at the Samaritans, right? The Samaritans said, Jacob built this well. This is where we're going to build it. This is Jacob was Israel. This is, this is a good place. That's the, that's the whole drama. Does that make sense? Philip shows up to Samaria and he begins to preach that the Jesus, and I don't know if you heard about the woman at the well, but they crucified that man and begins to preach the gospel with such power. Now this is a deacon, not an apostle. Remember the apostles had prayed that the gift of the Holy Spirit could fall upon them. And then after that, more disciples began to pray and they began to lay hands. That's what we're going to talk about today. So Philip was a product of those that had hands laid on them for the work of God. That hands laid upon them was significant. So let's, let's look into it. So in uh, Acts chapter 8, <clears throat> verse 4, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed. From the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished, them, uh, had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Stop right there. Philip goes into Samaria, which is a place that Israel was not supposed to be in. He begins to preach the name of Jesus, the coming of God's kingdom. And with this coming of God's kingdom, miracles. Those who were possessed, those who were lame, who couldn't walk, who had demonic spirits, they, they all began to become free. He preached the name of Christ. He runs into a sorcerer, a man, an, apparently a Samaritan, but a believer of God, all right, who is practicing sorcery. And he says that he is someone great in God. And people believe him. They see some of his sorceries and they go, yeah, he might be on to something. Remember Pharaoh? <laughs> had serpents too because you can manipulate the powers that are spiritual does not mean that's how God intended for it to be used just because it works doesn't mean it's right and I'm confronted nowadays with a lot of people well I, I pay this lady on 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 the Instagram and she reads my fortune for me with the cards and it'd be accurate I'm like just because it worked don't mean it's right this is the kind of stuff that we're in, in, inundated with 
that people are seeing the same sorcery and witchcraft of other uh, religions and it's powerful and it works and then they compare it to Christianity and they say it's all but the same. And no, baby, it's not all the same. This was so prevalent that it's one of the uh, major cities that you see that demons had to be cast out so many. Possessed by demonic spirits. Where what you will to do, you just can't seem to do. Something gets a hold of you, you always go down this direction. You do know what that's what possession is. Want me to say it again? Because you know, over, over spiritualized possession so much in order to say that you was not possessed. Possession is what you will to do, you cannot do. Even Paul said, I cried out, who can save me? From what I, the, the good I wish to do, I cannot do. The evil is always present with me. See, but if I come and tell you I think you possess, you're going to get offended. You're going to get offended because you're raised in the church. Because your grandmama brought you to church all the time. You, you, you can't be possessed. So I just let you, under my supervision with the Spirit of God, live your life and struggle with that same problem till you say something has to be done. Something is not right. I need some help from somewhere. This thing is just, it just can't be right. Oh, now we can talk. Now you'll believe, you know what, it probably is a demon. <laughs> I remember I was struggling in sexual sin. My pastor came and told me, Elder Durham, because I was an elder at the time. She said, you got these demonic spirits riding you like a backpack. I said, I didn't even have time to argue with her. I didn't have time to be offended. I know it's something on me. When you're tired of being led by Satan, you don't care what nobody thinks. You just want to be free. Because you got so much pride in what people would think. See, you ain't broken yet. Hello, somebody. But when you done had Satan ride you, then had him ride your life to make decisions for you, you don't care what. Just can you help me is all I need to know. I don't know how I got it. I don't know what's going to happen. I just want to be free. My spirit doesn't agree with the kind of stuff I'm participating in. It doesn't fit who I know God has called me to be, but I can't seem to stop. You're trying to be so theologically astute, you're bound. Trying to figure out, well, uh. Hello? Hello? Well, Pastor, can, can Christians be possessed? I would say no. Does that mess up your theology? Maybe you should evaluate your Christianity. Because last time I checked, liars are not Christians. Fornicators are not Christians. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. All these, uh, these homosexuals are not Christians. This is what the Bible says. Oh, see, again, now we have problems because I done told you you're not a Christian. See, I can't win for losing. You participate in sin perpetually. Hello, somebody. But I cannot call you a Christian. Then, then you, you, you participate in sin perpetually, and I can't say you possess. So which I can't win for losing. How about you just keep living the same way you're living, and you call me when you're done living that way, and you say, however the Lord can help me, let him help me. You're so smart, you're bound. Can't win for losing. 
Can't say, well, maybe you ain't a Christian because you know that offends you. Can't say you possess because now you offended too. It's about how you and your offense just keep living the way you're living because I don't know what. I can say for me personally, when I was bound in sexual sin, humility had to hit me. When I realized for various reasons I kept falling into the same sin, hello, somebody. And I, no matter what I thought, no matter what I tried, it seemed like slip, slip, there I was again. Slip, slip, there I am again. Slip, slip, there I am again. I said, this can't be right. When the gospel of the kingdom is preached, it says Christ has died on the cross for your sins, ascended to heaven, sits on the right hand side of the uh, power, right hand of God with all power. One, this sacrifice forgives you of sin. That forgiveness of sin allows you to enter into his kingdom that is coming. All of Israel understood God. The issue with the Samaritans is you remember the woman at the well, the Samaritan? Her biggest conversation with Christ was what they say in Jerusalem that we don't do right. You can see in essence, she's trying to figure out what's right and what's wrong. Y'all don't want to help me today. Who was living Christianity? Who was living this religion right? And who was living this religion wrong? And she just couldn't figure out. You need to help me. If you're if you a man of God, then, then, then you help me figure out who was doing it right and who was doing it wrong. And Jesus says, it ain't even about that. Blows her mind. It ain't about that. It's been about that my entire life. And it won't be any longer. The kingdom of God is at hand. The issue with Israel is they were supposed to be God's chosen people, the treasure of God. Among all nations, amongst all nations, amongst all peoples, they were supposed to be the chosen treasure of God. But they always fell short. The Samaritan woman says, they say we do wrong. The Israelite says, they do do wrong. They say the Samaritans do wrong. The Samaritans say the Israel uh, from Jerusalem do wrong. There's a conflict because both people recognize that we are not living up to the ideal that, Christ, that God had for Israel. So now it's just a matter of who is not living up the worst. We all sin. Ain't nobody perfect. Don't judge. Hello, somebody. Well, at least I didn't. I mean, but at least I wore a condom. I mean, at least it ain't every day. I mean, at least it's only. See, now the, now the scale isn't about right or wrong. The scale says it's always wrong. The scale is how much wrong is acceptable. Y'all don't want to help me today. How much wrong is acceptable and how much wrong is unacceptable. And Christ says it ain't even about that. And if you were honest, some of you living like that. Since ain't nobody perfect, how much imperfect can I do? Since ain't nobody can't be sold out completely, how much is acceptable? You looking at a real example of somebody sold out completely. 100% is, is the standard. I'm not lowering the standard. I'm not lowering the standard. Can't nobody be 100% that just for pastors. Mm -mm. You're so, you were called to be 100% serving God and 100% serving people. You were called for that. Your office determines in what way you do that. But it does not negate what you were called for. Yeah. 
You may be, you may be, you are called to serve God and serve people. As a pastor, it dictates in what way you do that. As a deacon, it dictates in what way you do that. As an evangelist, it dictates in what way you do that. As a singer, it dictates in what way you do that. But you are 100% called to 100% serve God and serve people. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. The idea that you serve yourself most often is a flaw. It is not true Christianity. And other people that do it are not the example because they are successful. Over and over again, I look at pastors that are falling. It's all types of scandalous events. Successful pastors. Big, huge churches. One girl even was interviewed. She said, I don't care who my pastor smashed as long as he's preaching that good word on Sunday. They just human. And don't get me wrong, I'm a pastor. And I'm by, mean, by no means perfect. Hello, somebody. But it just goes to show, as black people, we will follow anybody. You don't even have to have any proof that what you're saying actually works. When the gospel was preached, hello, somebody, the name of Jesus was preached and the coming of the kingdom, miracle signs and wonders were visible to show proof of what they are preaching. Now we're following people because it sounds good, and they didn't even got no proof in the basic of their lives to indicate that what they're preaching actually works. If I preach holiness, then I need to show you miraculously that you can live holy for God. That's just basic. We're not even talking about raising the dead and healing the sick. Just basic. Can you basically show that same power in your life, number one? Before we talk about healing the blind, before we talk about raising the dead, at the first level, we should see it works in your life. You a Christian out here thotting and biting. I don't even know if that's a word anymore. Call yourself a believer. I don't even, I don't, I don't see no power or demonstration that even works at the first level. The gospel that you believe in hasn't even affected you to change you. But you want to preach that it changes me. Oh, this is the honest truth. But black people especially, we will follow you if you got a nice car, if you got a glamorous church, if you got good music. We don't even care what you got going on in your personal life. We'll just say they just human. Uh-uh, uh-uh, baby. Somebody need to care. Somebody need to care. Uh-uh, uh-uh, sit down. No, no, you don't, you don't apologize and then keep going. You sit down. You sit down till we can see the same thing that you preach about the power of God is working in your life. And you don't get up till saints can see it. And not the ones that you lead, other people above you can say, go. Lay hands, go. Preach. Let them restore you. Not the people. Other leaders need to restore you. That's where your ordination came from, by laying on of hands. That's where your authority came from, from somebody else. You can't trust the people to restore you back to your position. Because they secretly want to do the same thing you just did. And they secretly don't want to be judged for what they do. So the more dirt you do, the more they feel better about their inability to actually follow God. So now it's just the blind leading the blind. That's why so many people want to convict me of sin that I don't do. Always looking for how I did something wrong. Scaling it. Oh, well, you know how mama died of her. She was using the marijuana's. I did. And then my therapist said, that's not working. 
And I fasted when I recognized my whole church had a problem with marijuana. And that drove me down to clinical depression. Because the stigma of me medicating is not acceptable. And it became a, a vice for other people in my church to continue to smoke marijuana and to be high out of their mind 90% of their day, 80% of their week, 75%. Hello, how are you going to serve God and serve man always stoned? Just because you want to remove negative emotions. Negative emotions sometimes are very beneficial to the forward momentum of your life. That anger works. That disappointment works. That dissatisfaction works. That heartbreak works. Oh, baby, it works. But you're trying to numb it all because you don't like it. Feel it. Feel it and let it work for you. Some of the best messages came, came out of pain. You feel it, you let it work for you. But now every time I look up, I remember Taylor, bless her heart. I told Taylor a couple years ago, I wanted to get this freeze fat thing where they freeze the fat off of you. And I was like, I'm going to get this procedure where they freeze the fat off. And I was talking to my friends and Taylor, our teenager was around. And she freaked out. First, she, first I told her in the car, was talking about it. And she was, got real quiet on me. And she's like, Pastor, I don't know why you don't like your body. I'm like, I do like my body. I just want it better. <laughs> and then we talked about it some more. And she started crying. I don't want you to have to change your body. That's the way God made your body. And I don't think that anybody should change their body based off of the way God made them. I said, I said Taylor, that's so sweet. She, I said, well, Taylor, you haven't even hit puberty yet. She hadn't. And I said, when you hit puberty, you're going to recognize that while you like your body, you want a whole bunch of things to be different. Makeup, eyelashes, lipstick, weave, color. Hello, somebody. All the above. I said, she said, not me. I'm not going to wear no lipstick. I ain't going to wear no makeup. I ain't going to put nothing on my body that God didn't make. And we've got it on record. Fast forward a year later when puberty hits, I want my nose pierced. I want some makeup. Can you press out my hair? But let me hear you something. Let me tell you something. For a whole year, I didn't move on that until she could see it for herself. And everybody said, Pastor, why are you going to do it? I said, because it upsets Taylor. I said, it upsets Taylor, and she doesn't understand, so I'm going to wait until she understands before I decide. And I did that. Hello, somebody. I did that. But y'all don't, don't, see, you don't understand how you're supposed to serve God and serve people. Y'all don't understand. You don't, you don't know what I be doing in the background. You be thinking you see one thing, but you really don't know the depth that I go to make sure I serve God well. And I serve the oldest to the youngest very well. Amen. Yeah. I knew it was only going to take her to hit puberty before she understood. Hello? Then she understood. Hello, somebody. Then I got some fat frozen and sucked off or whatever. And she was like, you look good. Thank you. And do. Thank her. Need my blessings. Right? But this is serving God. This is serving his people. She didn't ask me. God didn't force me. It wasn't a sin. Hello? But I recognized what that would do to her at her infant stage. 
And what I desired, I didn't want it bad enough to cause harm to one of my members. This is kind of, we will follow anybody. People don't even have a moral standard and tear down those that are trying to uphold a standard that you might believe in the power of God, that you could do the same thing. Hello, somebody. I'm not tooting my own horn, but I just have to make sure sometimes y'all don't recognize what goes on as a pastor. You think it's a bunch of preaching and teaching and you could do the same thing. You have a couple of dreams. Get some profound insight. I ain't new to this. I'm very true. And some people can't understand why my believers, uh, the believers that I serve here with God, actually listen to what I have to say. You weren't there. There's a spiritual connection that has happened between me, them, and the Spirit of God that allows them to submit to me willingly because they've seen the power of God in their lives and in my life. It ain't no sorcery. It ain't no control mechanism. I ain't got no pills. I ain't locking nobody in the house. It's real simple. I love God. I love them. They end up being faithful to God and faithful to me. That's the whole shebang. That's it. Eventually, at first they wasn't. And then you start sowing in their lives. They be like, you know what? I do love Pastor. Now, you know what? She always. And then when you, then, then people start to see when they start pouring in love and affection, loyalty and faithfulness. And they would say, what she got going on? Nothing. You weren't there when I was loving them when they had nothing. When they didn't believe in themselves. When they didn't believe that God could do anything. When they were bound and caught and trapped. You were not there when I spent hours after hours after hours. Days after days. Not just in communication. and prayer. and fasting. Things you don't even know about. Don't question my bond with my members. You weren't there. And just because you got a fake shepherd. Don't mean they all fake. Just because your shepherd don't know how to love rightly, don't mean they all don't. There's something suspicious going on. Well, maybe, she, maybe she's gay. She, she, she ain't married, so maybe she's being gay with her members. No, I'm not being gay with my members. Maybe, maybe she secretly, you know, she be going out with the boys. They be all going to play golf and stuff. Maybe she be trying to, she, she pushing up on one of them. I'm not pushing up on none of the men in my church. Or could it be that I just pastor them? And I actually like them. I enjoy hanging around them. I think they're fun or sweet or unique or quirky or, or you know, and I like hanging around them. Amen. They're not an obligation to me. Amen. They're family. Amen. Yes, they could be heavy, but that's my brother. Hello, somebody. Amen. I go act like it's easy, it's hard. But love compels. So... Philip went to preach to Samaritans and was doing great things. People were coming into the belief of Christ because he answered their question about what is right and what is wrong and who's doing it right by not defining what is right or wrong, but by establishing there's something greater coming. There's something greater coming where we don't even have to worry about this anymore. We're not going to try to figure out what's the best or the worst that I could do. Well, is this technically a sin or is this a sin? And, and, and Philip preached the gospel that says, now that Christ is here, that's not even our issue. What you long to be in God, that righteousness you desire to see, it is at your hand. They had pretty much lived where that was not possible. 
the, what, what Israel had two teachings about being Israel. One was the people of Israel. It was clear they were imperfect as a nation. Individually, they were imperfect. And as a people, they were imperfect. The gospel hinges on the fact that Israel knew that the perfect Israelite was supposed to come. Isaiah preached that there's going to be a perfect Israelite that's going to show up. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let me, let me keep going. Hello? So when Philip goes to Samaria, he answers the question about perfectness and righteousness, not by defining what you do, but by establishing that Christ has come to allow you to enter into the kingdom of God. This is a people that were rejected by the group of religious folk that they were supposed to be a part of. And since they were rejected by them, then they consequently rejected them. So this is hurt people hurting people back and forth. But now Philip says you can be accepted. This is the Christ. You belong with him. And they believed it. Great signs and wonders showed up. Simon himself, a sorcerer, also believed. And seeing signs and miracles that were done by Philip, he continued to follow him. Verse 14 of chapter 8 says, Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had came, come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Stop right there. With your odd theology, with your live and let live. Love is love. You understand. You, you can come in. And ain't nobody judging because it ain't even about that no more. What it's about is the idea that the kingdom of God is now here and you can enter into his kingdom. That's what Philip was preaching. Simon loved it. The Bible says he believed. Then Simon also himself believed. It didn't say enlightened. It didn't give us some weird word. It said a word we're very familiar with, believed. And when he was baptized, He was baptized, right? Seeing the signs and miracles which were done, he continued to follow Philip. John and Peter came down to lay hands on these new Samaritan converts that they might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Historically, in the book of Acts, the gift of the Holy Spirit was given to those who wanted to be a part of the work of expanding the kingdom of God. Do you understand? So they lay hands on everybody. People receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When Simon sees this, his hands was not laid on him. When he sees that you can give the Holy Spirit by laying on of hands, he wants to buy it. Hello? Look at verse 18. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of hands, uh, the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given. He offered them money saying, give me this power also that anyone whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. (sighs) How? How do you go from believing to baptize to I want to buy the Holy Spirit so I can lay hands on people and they get the Holy Spirit too? How? I have all kinds of conjectures. I have, maybe he enjoyed power. Maybe he, he was after money. 
maybe he has greed. I have all kinds of conjectures, but it's best to let the scripture tell you what it says was the case. So verse 20 says, but Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Flat out told him, repent therefore of this your wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Before I do any conjectures of why Simon wanted it, we should just let the scriptures say what they say. This mistake was made primarily out of bitterness. Bitterness has a way of chaining you to thoughts that produce sin. Now, what could Simon be bitter about? Maybe he was the head honcho. Hello? Maybe he was the manifestation of the power of God. Only to find out that something greater, someone bigger, someone better in God showed up. Maybe he was the prodigy, the apple of the eye. He was the one that people went to for answers. Only to find out that he missed this one. And he better get on board with this new thing. Hello, somebody. Maybe he was bitter at the fact that James and uh, that Peter and John had the gift and he didn't have it. Maybe he was bitter that his life didn't turn out the way he. Oh, y'all don't want to help me preach today. Maybe he was upset that he thought his life needed to go in one direction and it ended up going in a completely different direction. But he thought that he was doing it under the auspices of God. Come on, somebody. I thought I was doing what God wanted me to do. I thought I was handling it the way God wanted me to handle it. Then I find out somebody shows up and tell me I've been doing it all wrong. And while I agree I was, I still don't like it. Oh, you agree that you were wrong. You agree that that's not the way. But it does not erase the fact that you don't like it. It doesn't erase this anger that you sometimes feel that bubbles up. This, this feeling that you have no control over where your life is going. That it lays in somebody else's hands or on the will of God and not your own. Or, or you're used to being able to take whatever you had and making it work. And now you can't take whatever you have. And I'm preaching better y'all acting. Simon used the cards that was dealt to him. He used the abilities and the information that he discovered, and he used it to work. And his life was going great until he ran into a deeper truth. And that truth compelled him to walk away from all of it. And even though he knows he should walk away, and he did, it doesn't stop him from being bitter. Oh, I'm preaching, but I got a lot of bitter Christians sitting in my church right now. You know you need to do right. You know what I preach is right. But ever so often you get angry that you got to do it. Angry that it can't go back to what it used to be. Angry that you ain't got this. And angry that you can't have that. And angry that you can't figure out the future. And angry that you don't know how it's going to work out. And angry that nobody's going to help you. And angry. Let that marinate for a second. 
Because just like Simon, you know the truth, but you don't like it. You surrendered to do it. You're following in it, but you don't like it. This sour taste that you have in your mouth. For me, preaching, compelling you to do better. You have to say stuff like, Pastor, I ain't mad at you. I know. You're mad at where your life is going because you felt that when you were using all that you had, you got it to go in a different direction. And now I keep preaching that you stop using all that you have and you just trust God. Uh-uh, but I have the ability to do this and I have the ability to do that and I have the ability to do this. And so won't God want me to do everything that I have the ability to do? Not, not you, not that way, not you, not that way, not you and not that way. And this angers you on the inside. Oh, I'm in there today. It upsets you. Especially when you felt like all your life you had to figure out ways to make whatever you had work. And then I, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, preach a word that tells you don't even do that much. Now I'm wrong for even. Yes. I'm wrong for even wanting. Yes, but shouldn't I just want? No, but it just seemed like all my life I had to, no. But it just seemed like everybody, no. But why can't I, no. And it was working for me, and I could see how it was doing good things, and it, and it was building things, and, and I was being a blessing to the kingdom, and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. It makes me a better parent, and it makes me a better this, and it makes me a better that, and blah, 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 blah. Mm. Yeah, but I don't think that's what God has for your life. Now, where does this binding to iniquity show up? Yeah. The disappointment about you not, your life not going the way you want it to go. About the lack of control you now have in this. Yeah. Hello, somebody. Causes a person to always look for a way out. Jesus. Now, I know Simon, this is me, okay? I think, because I'm human like him, that he probably thought this was a good thing. I want to help expand the kingdom of God. And I know that it's a valuable gift, so I wasn't trying to imply anything by it. I was just saying that, and I could see how this would be beneficial to the kingdom. I can get him saved. I can bring her to Christ. But pastor, if I do this, then I can bring more tithes and offerings more money but pastor this makes me a better person and a better believer because even though it's not right at least i feel better about myself and better about my life and i become a better uh, wife or a better husband or a better parent or mother or father and you start coming up with all the right reasons hello somebody as to why you want to participate in this behavior huh but the truth of the matter is god did not elect to gift you with that because no hands have been laid. Nobody, I'm not touching you for real. She's like, do it, do it. Lay it on me, Pastor. You don't even know what you're asking for. 
<laughs> you don't want this. Let's finish Peterson Elite first. All right, let's do that. First dream first, then the second. All right. You fool up with this, you ain't going to have no Peterson Elite. <laughs> you don't want that. <laughs> and we need them ties and offerings. You keep working on that. <laughs> Hello, somebody. But that's a prime example. You're trying to buy what you don't know has to be given. And the giver of the gift understands how and what you will use it for. You try to figure out what do I need to do to have God's favor on my life? What kind of good do I need to do? Do I need to live like this? Do my morning devotion? Do I need to pray like this? Do I need to go to church like that? Do I need to just, you know, jump this rope, skip over here? You try to figure everything you need to do in order to have God's favor in your life, not recognizing that he gifts you with his favor. He gifts you with his power when you are a part of building and expanding his kingdom. And unless you're about building and expanding his kingdom, he has no desire to gift you with the power of his spirit. Because inadvertently, anytime you were given power, you said it was for others, but it secretly it was about you. How do I know? Because when I told you to give it up, it was always about you and not them. Hello, somebody. So you're going to stay in that relationship even though you're sending that person to hell? But you love them. Can't. 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 Pastor, I want to do this because I want to give more to the church. Okay, well, the church going to be fine, so don't do it. Yeah, the church ain't going to be fine. I'm the pastor. If I say the church is going to be fine, the church is going to be fine. So we don't need the money. Don't move in that direction in your life. Now it's about you. Well, I just feel like, why wouldn't God want me? Oh. All of a sudden, the true nature of you trying to buy favor, the true nature of you trying to buy the gift shows up because you've always been unhappy with the direction your life has been going. You've never been satisfied. You've never been content. You never liked how it was turning out. And now you want to implore God to give you some gift to do great things, not to expand the kingdom, but for self. For self. For how it makes you identify you, know you, for the hope you think that your life would be better. We become empowered by the Spirit of God not for our lives to be better. We become empowered by the Spirit of God for other people to come into the kingdom. Our lives can be trashed. Some of you want the gift of God and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you're just going to use it to better your situation. Some of you came, became Christians because you heard it would make your life better. You didn't come thinking this is the only way man can be saved. I know because you're not out here preaching every two minutes you get to anybody that will listen. You want me to develop some program, some new initiative. When you can just go out right out and say, hey, you know, Jesus. Yes? Okay, great. Hey, do you know Jesus? Okay, I should have my church filled with people you done ran into every day that you just keep bringing them to church, bringing them to church, because that's all you do 24-7. Amen. Amen. 
That's all I do 24-7. But you want the power of the Holy Ghost. You just want to be great. You just want to be great. Come on, let's just, let's just fess up to what it really is. You just want to be great. For all kinds of reasons, maybe you were never great. Maybe they talked about you. Maybe they did you bow down bad. Maybe everybody told you you wouldn't be nothing. But for whatever the reason of your history, it's all culminated in the idea that you are angry and upset, that your life is not looking at the direction of greatness. And when you see an opportunity to seize greatness, you will take it even if you got to buy it from God himself. You got to make some exchanges with God in order to be great. Well, if I don't do this, then will you give me a husband? Well, if I don't do that, then will you give me a good job? You ain't doing nothing but trying to buy the gifts of God. Pastor, can you pray that I? Pastor, can you put your hand on my head, pray that I? I mean, I literally have had people snatch my hand to put it on them. Now, the truth of the matter is, I know my prayers work. The sign was on the yard the next day. Mother Bell is sitting in church. Mama Jean is healed from cancer. Come on, y'all. I know God has gifted me with his spirit for power, signs, miracles, and wonders because I preach the gospel for the expansion of his kingdom. What do you need the gift of the Holy Ghost for? You don't even want to use it for the basics of holy living. You don't even want to use the power of the Holy Ghost to not smoke weed. You don't even want to use it to not sleep around, not watch porn. Here's a great place for the power of the Holy Ghost to work in you, to not cuss somebody out. Great opportunity for just you believing in him to have a work. John and Peter tell Simon, they say, you can't have no part in this. They didn't say you can't be a believer. They said, you can't be a part of the expansion. This church is called to expand the kingdom of God, to build the empire. We are a family of believers doing what? Building the empire of Christ. From its onset, we, are, we were established to forward the expansion of the body of Christ, to push the kingdom. This is not just sit down and just be a constituent. In the kingdom, there are people that just live every day in the kingdom, and there are people that go out and expand it. This church is one of those that goes out and expands it. We tackle hard issues, tough topics, big theology. We get big answers from God for that very reason. We stand on the front lines, and we push it forward. If you're going to be a member here, you need the power of the Holy Ghost. You need hands laid on you to gift you with the power first to see it in your life and second to use to be used by the work of God to expand it. The reason our ministers were set down because I didn't see the power of God working in their lives. Mm -hmm. 
I gave you a chance to try it for a year, maybe two. And then, no, you know, I don't really see that this is using the power of God. God is not even used to quell your tongue. To stop your back talk to your pastor, to inspire you to read, to study. You fall asleep when I give you study time with me. Mm. I don't know about this. We tried it. I'm not laying hands on that. Some of you need the Holy Ghost in order to expand the kingdom, but you haven't committed to expanding the kingdom. And you can't figure out why you have no power in your life. A priest serves God and what? And serves God's people. You haven't even committed to that. It's a hobby. It's a weekend activity. You want to see signs in your neighbor's yard? You want to have a meal plan that benefits before cancer is even diagnosed? You want to be able to speak to someone with all organ failure? And they get up, walk, breathe, drive, and do everything else? You want to usher other saints into the hands of God on their last breath? You want to deliver children and teens from suicidal thoughts? You want to help babies be calm in the presence of God? You want to heal the brokenhearted? Show the power of God that people might have a firmer relationship with the Father? Or do you just want to be great? The truth that was seen in Simon's life is that he just wanted to be great. And he was bitter because he could feel that that greatness was not coming to him. He had no contentment with where God was placing him. No contentment. I was talking to Joel the other day, and she said, Pat, what do we, how do we get on that topic? Do you remember? Oh, people, the, the sales office likes to use my house as a model for other people to buy my particular floor plan. Uh, technically, I'm not supposed to be doing this. You know, I don't have to do it. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's voluntary, right? But I don't mind. Um, and the more houses they sell, the more my house value goes up. <laughs> so I'm like, yes, I will help you. So the sales associate, my sales associate brought three families in in one day. She scheduled it with me, got my permission, you know. All three families talked about how nice the design was. Wanted to know if I could help them design their house, right? Hello? They asked her, is she a, is she a designer? She said, no, she's actually a pastor. They said, what? I told them, I said, hey, you move over to this neighborhood. I'll help you design your house for free. Just give me a call. I'll come right on over. Not a problem, right? Jewel was shocked because everybody that sees some stuff, they'd be like, pastor, you should do this. You should make this a career. Everybody says, this is good side money for you. This is good, this is good side money. Now, I talked to a style a designer, right? And I talk, and I listened to her tell me how grueling that work is, how much time it takes. And I said to self, self, you don't have that time. And so Jewel was flabbergasted because she said, that's why you're a pastor, because you're not always looking for ways to make money. 
It could be right at your feet. You're not trying to find ways to advance yourself. You're not trying to find ways to make yourself better. You're not trying to find ways to get in a better situation. You are, and I said the word is content. I said, nah, I don't have time for that. I really want, if I have any extra energy, I really, really want to pour it into the church. Dr. Smith can't understand it. You should write books. You do do this. If I have any energy, I really want to pour it into the church. That little rinky-dink church, you barely got 100 members. If I have any energy, I want to pour it into the I said, the word you're looking for, Jewel, is contentment. I'm content with the station that God has evidently placed my life in. I can look and say, this fits me. Y'all don't want to help me preach today. Serving God through this church, it fits me right now. And the only thing that does, I can design for free. But in order to make it a business, I'd have to invest time, emotion, stress. Hello, somebody. All of the, ah, I'm good. And the only reason I would do it is for extra money. But what if it was possible for me to be content with the amount of money that I have right now and not have to add no other stress. See, because you have a desire to be bigger, better, and best all the time running in you, greater and greater and greater, higher and higher and higher, and somehow this has become the gospel message which Christ never intended. Bigger, bigger, best, best, greater, greater, greater. God has greater. That is not the gospel. And so you lose. You lose in your soul. You lose in the kingdom building. You lose in so many other areas because truly you just really desire to be great. And modern pastors and preachers are overlooking people that are content because the people that desire to be great are so much more flashy and glamorous. People that desire to be great push. Also the problem is they don't know when to stop pushing. But people that learn to be content know we're going to keep going. Okay, we're going to stop. It's a good place to stop. It's a good place to stop. It's a good place to stop. You don't know when it's good to stop. Because you're bitter. That while you agree that this is God and God's plan for your life, you don't like it. So you look for ways to solve this problem. You don't even recognize your heart until, it's, until you say something stupid. Until you act some, in some stupid way. And if you're around me, I'd be like, do you guys see here be like, well, I didn't really mean that I didn't really mean what I meant to say. I'm like, your heart said something. Your heart spoke. Let's deal with that. Let's repent. Let's turn. In hopes, as he said, in hopes that he could forgive what's in your heart. He said, don't, don't worry about the action that you said with, with your words. I'm sorry I said it. Mm -mm. He said, you need to repent in hopes that he could forgive what you've really been feeling. You've been feeling this. What have I been feeling? Bitter. Agitated discouraged, disappointed, disenfranchised maybe. 
Hello, somebody. Bitterness binds you to iniquity. We could leave right here on this. I'm contented with that. I'm just waiting to hear God make sure it's okay. <laughs> I wanted to get into the eunuch, but this might be good enough. Yeah, let's stand all over the house. We'll finish the second half of Acts chapter 8 next week. Amen.